everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, as always, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. I am so excited this week because I have had the privilege of talking to North Dakota-based drag queen Janessa J. Champagne, a.k.a. in her own words, North Dakota's trash queen of glam, geek, and gore. I was excited to talk to her specifically to hear her thoughts on why she loves the 1983 cult classic horror film Sleepaway Camp. She partially wrote her thesis on the slasher favorite when she got her master's in English, so her take on on why this continues to be a cult classic was incredibly interesting and articulate. We also talked about why she doesn't like the sequels to Sleepaway Camp, how Aunt Martha is the real villain, and why she would love for Sleepaway Camp to be remade, albeit in quite a different way, today. And also, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp before, we definitely ruined the ending, so please, 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 if you haven't seen this 40-year-old movie, go watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode, okay? One last thing before we get into this episode, if you haven't taken a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, I would be so incredibly grateful if you did. It really helps people find the show. So if you can take a second to do that, email me a screenshot so I can personally thank you. I think that's it. So let's get into this episode with Janessa J. Champagne. Hey, Janessa, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for being here. Uh, Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Um, I Well, first of all, I'm always excited to talk away about Sleepaway Camp. I have been obsessed with this movie for years. Um, I am a drag performer. I'm from Grand Forks, North Dakota. I've been performing in shows for about 20 years. And um, in my online life, I run a website. I do a little bit of podcasting. I'm not super consistent about it. Um, I have a YouTube channel and just love to talk about glam, geek, and gore. That's sort of my my tagline is that I'm North Dakota's trash queen of glam, geek, and gore. So I'm very excited to be here. That is amazing. That is another very good GGG. <laughs> I um, love it. So first things first, before we get into Sleepaway Camp, do you have another favorite scary movie or Sleepaway Camp it? Oh, Sleepaway Camp is probably my favorite like standalone horror movie. I love like the slashers from the 80s. Friday the 13th is probably my favorite franchise. Um, and I love, I like lots of different kinds of horror. Um, I prefer lots of story to lots of gore. I mean, I say that I'm the trash queen of gore, but um, I love a good story. I like there to be some sort of story element behind it. I love Japanese, like The Grudge and The Ring. I love it. If you get a ghost in Japan, you are just screwed. Like you're done. <laughs> you are never going to get rid of that ghost. Like it's not like American ghost stories where you can somehow do something to like get rid of the ghost. Never. You're done. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to, talk to you today because we have the exact opposite tastes in horror, but you would get along great with my friend Jody. He loves yeah. all the 80 <laughs> slashers. Um, so how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? I got into sort of horror related things very young. So as a kid, I loved Halloween and I loved the very classic monsters. So like Dracula and Frankenstein's monster and werewolves and all those kinds of things. And I loved, you know, age appropriate 
types of horror from the very beginning. So my mom would find creepy books in the kids section that had monsters in them. And my mom and I used to watch Dark Shadows together when it was on PBS. And so it's kind of this like half spooky supernatural stuff and half soap opera so it was like horror light um and so I, I still to this day love dark shadows and um so really got into it through that way and then as I got older I just kind of kept dipping my toes further and further in and finding more of the the creepy stuff awesome so now let's chat about the 1983 classic horror movie Sleepaway Camp. This is a movie that I saw for the first time last year when my friend Jody, as I said before, told me I had to watch it because he loves it. Um, I thought it was kind of ridiculous and I thought the ending was actually really absurd, but I know it's a cult classic. Let's talk about why you think it's cringy, fascinating joy, as you said before. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I saw it when I was a teenager. It was one of those that it's really got that iconic box cover because I'm I'm 43 years old. And so I absolutely was a teenager in the height of like blockbuster and going and finding VHS tapes at the video store. And so it's one of those movies that's got the really iconic box cover of um, a tennis shoe that's like impaled on a knife and there's a, a letter in the background like dear mom I'm really scared of camp and then it like runs off and um and so I just remember seeing it and that was the great thing about video sources that sometimes you'd have no idea what a movie even was you might not even read the back you would just see this great box cover art and so I got it and I watched it and I was like what did I just see? What even is this? I was so confused because there's no wrap up at the end. So it gives you that big reveal that Angela was actually Peter and, and then just ends. It just ends. There's no explanation. There's no follow-up. It's just done. And I was like, it blew my mind. I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. And I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I would watch it again. I found my own DVD copy later on. And when I was in grad school, I did a master's degree in English. I wrote a thesis about sort of cross-gender portrayals in film. And each chapter dealt with a different section. And so there was like comedies and, um, you know, different things. And I had a chapter on horror and it was all centered around sleepaway camp and around the idea that, um, you know, as people see this sort of transgression of gender as a threat, they build these narratives around it. And so that's how we get things like psycho and sleepaway camp and, um, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, it's so, I'm trying to figure like, what was the purpose of all this? Like, what were they trying to do? So I, I just think it's so fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I definitely felt the same way as you did after I watched it for the first time last year. I just, yeah, I was like, what is the point of that? I was a little bit offended, but I didn't know if people who are transgender are, are as offended or if I'm just being overly sensitive. So I think that there is definitely the show does have um, sort of this reputation as being very transphobic. And I think that absolutely the sequels are very blatantly transphobic. I think that Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3, they go much more into like being transphobic. And I think some of that, I don't know that they had bad intentions. I think that it was more, maybe they didn't know they were going to have a sequel. And so they had to try to explain this killer that they've given this big reveal. Well, once you've done the big reveal, you can't, it's not a secret. So you can't do that again. So they just kind of gave her this quick backstory of, well, she was taken to an asylum and they gave her a sex change and your tax dollars paid for it. And all of these like typical sort of very transphobic tropes. 
and people like misgendering her and things like that. But I think the first one is much more about other kinds of issues. I think it's about bullying. And I think that some of the gender stuff is maybe meant to be used in a different way. Now, I do have to say that anybody who is offended by that, I think that being willing to look at something and criticize something doesn't invalidate anybody's feelings about it. I think that if somebody is offended by this movie, if they see it and they think that I feel like this is something that feels transphobic to me, I think that's a valid feeling to have. Um, but I think that unlike other movies, I think that this one is not, I guess, objectively transphobic. It's not clearly transphobic from the, it's not trying to be transphobic as opposed to, if you think of something like Birth of a Nation to kind of take it in a different direction, Birth of a Nation is objectively racist. It's the point of that movie is to tell a certain narrative about black people. Um, whereas Sleepaway Camp doesn't set out with that intention. It just sort of has these things that as you look at them subjectively could be transphobic. And I think that that's 100% valid. So I certainly, by digging into the movie and criticizing it, I don't want to invalidate anybody's feelings, but I think that it is something that we can kind of play around with and, and dig around a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I found the ending so abrupt and I just didn't, like you said, I didn't understand the point of it. I didn't know what they were trying to say. And I was like, I was like that poor child, but yeah. And, and that's that reaction of that poor child. To me, Aunt Martha is the real villain of Sleepaway Camp. I mean, obviously Angela is the one who's killing everybody and doing all of these things. But I think to me, Aunt Martha represents this sort of heteronormativity and this push for traditional gender roles and traditional understanding of sexuality. And I think that because she was so obsessed with that and because she forced Peter into this identity that was not his own, that's what causes the whole problem. It's not because Angela, as some sort of gender transgressing person, is a bad person. It's because of what Aunt Martha did, and Aunt Martha represents those very hierarchical forms of gender and sexuality. What was the reaction from your teacher when you partially wrote your thesis on this movie? Were they familiar with the movie, or did you have to sort of tell them what it was? They were not, and I, <laughs> I definitely... Yes, I harassed a lot of people into watching this movie in my in my <laughs> department. I was like, you have to watch this. And I, I think I had like two copies and I would like lend it out. I wanted to make sure I never completely lost it, but I would like lend one out. And I'd be like, you have to watch this and then we'll talk about it. So they were not aware before, but they are <laughs> aware now whether they wanted to be or not. Why do you think that Sleepaway Camp has become a cult classic since it was released in the 80s? I think it comes from this really interesting time because... Um, you know, again, and this is where I, I geek out. Um, I love to talk about like the history of this kind of stuff is that slashers really all develop out of Psycho, which has its own kind of troubled gender portrayal in it. Um, and then we get to Halloween. And so Halloween really kind of kicks off the slashers. And, um, and then we get, you know, Friday the 13th in 1980, and then Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. And by the time Nightmare on Elm Street rolls around, They've figured out that you can build these franchises. But I think between like 1978 and 1984, you get this interesting time where people were trying to do these slasher movies. They saw that this was a new type of movie that people were going to be interested in, but they hadn't really established the rules yet. 
And so you get these really interesting takes. So you get like the burning and um, you get, you know, prom night, the first prom night and all of these different films that are trying to figure out how to do a slasher movie. What does that mean? And I think that, you know, Sleepaway Camp is right in there. And I think that that's why it gets this cult following is because the rules aren't clearly established and so they're trying to figure out what this genre is and it plays with some interesting things I mean one thing that always fascinated me about that movie is that there is this kind of frame story um so for people who haven't seen it I mean we've obviously already ruined it but it's been (laughs) out for like 40 years so settle down um (laughs) what I love is that there's this frame story of Peter and Angela these two children who are being raised by a same-sex couple so you find out in these flashbacks that Peter and Angela have a father who's partnered with a man. And if you separate the scenes with the two dads out from this kind of gory horror movie, you it's actually kind of a loving story. There's nothing about these two men that makes you think that they are predatory or any of those stereotypes from the early 80s that they're, that they're anything other than great dads. And so I was always fascinated, like, what were they trying to say by having these pictures? But then it's also juxtaposed juxtaposed with Angela, Peter, trying to figure out what their identity is now that Aunt Martha has forced them to take on the identity of their dead twin. So I, I think it's just fascinating the way that it sets up all this, these questions and doesn't answer them. I think that that's why it's got a little bit of this following is that like me, people are still trying to figure out what they were even trying to say. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, if this movie was made today, how do you think it would be received if it was released for the first time right now? I think they would have to make a lot of changes. I think that if they, I think that if they did it the way that they did it then, there would be problems because we are talking about trans identity and trans rights. And so it's something that you really have to engage with if you're going to make this kind of killer. Um, I think that they would have to really kind of figure out how they wanted to portray this character of Peter Angela um, and make it clear that it's not meant to say that transgender people are predatory or are dangerous. Because that to me has never been the point. It was never that Angela was killing people at camp because there was this gender secret. It was what was done to Angela that made them do these things. Um, And so I think you would have to really play with that. And I think that that's why I've always read Aunt Martha as the villain. And I think that you would have to really kind of play with that, of that really what's at issue here is the way that people treat people who deviate from gender norms and sexuality norms. And I think that you could tell a kind of interesting story if you were much more explicit with that. I would love to see a prequel about Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha is such a weird character. She's so strange. I would love to find out how she got to be that way. Like I would love to find out the story of the two dads and how Aunt Martha got to be the weird, wacky person that she is. I would love a prequel. I have heard that they are are making some sort of remake or reboot or something. I don't know too much about it, but um, I have heard that that's kind of in the works. Oh, cool. Um, I haven't seen the sequels. You said you have, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was looking for at sleepaway camp too because one of my friends said that like that's the good one but now apparently you're saying it's the transphobic one so i think that they're 
I think that if you like kind of gory horror or like cheesy deaths, like they really play up the weird deaths. I think it's fun. Um, like the sequels are kind of fun, but if you're looking for transphobia, it's there. Like you absolutely will see it and you'll absolutely like, they don't try to hide it. Like it's absolutely something that's right there on the surface. I think it's worth a watch. I mean, I think that I've never been the kind to say that just because something has offensive material in it that we should like hide it away. I think that that's a good opportunity to sort of dig in and say, these people made some bad choices. And let's talk about maybe why they made those bad choices and what could they've done differently. But outside of the transphobia that's in that movie, there are some fun kills, but it does, it makes it harder to watch now that I'm a little bit older and have thought about some of these issues a little bit more. One thing about the sequels that's very interesting, um, they have these little like weird Easter eggs that they build in. And so all of the characters in part two are named after 80s Brat Pack actors. So there's like Demi for Demi Moore and Molly for Molly Ringwald and all these different people and Emilio and, you know, all these things. And then in part three, there's two group of two groups of kids. So the camp basically brings together these like privileged kids who come from rich families with people from the inner city. And all of the people who are from the inner city are named after, I believe it's characters from West Side Story. And then all of the rich kids are named after Brady Bunch characters. And so it's bringing together these two kind of, and so there's just these little interesting things that they dropped in. Very cool, fun fact. I will have to listen for those if I ever watch the sequels, which (laughs) I don't know if I will. But um, do you ever channel any um, aspects of horror movies when you're um, in drag? Absolutely. I've been playing with it a little bit more. In the last few years, I've started going to this horror convention called Days of the Dead. And um, that's one of the things that as I've gotten a little bit older, I mean, drag is always changing and drag is always evolving. And so I, you know, I'm not that little 20 year old queen anymore who, and I've never been much of a dancing queen. Like I'm not doing splits and death drops and everything. And, and so I was like, as I kind of continue to evolve, I thought, well, what do I want my sort of personal brand to be? And so I love of late night horror movies. And I grew up with Elvira. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start hosting some late night horror events. So I've done some, not during lockdown, obviously, but um, before that I was doing, we called it Miss J's Friday Night Frights. And we would have like a double feature of indie horror movies and at our local community theater. And it was a fundraiser for the community theater. And we'd show off some fun horror movies and stuff. And I go to these horror conventions and I actually had the chance to meet Felissa Rose who plays Angela. And yeah, I've had a lot of great conversations with her. We've kind of developed this friendship. She's so wonderful and amazing. And um, so I've really kind of dug into that horror community. I'm a good, kind of horror light. Like I kind of mix glam and gore together a little bit, but I've started to bring it into my shows. I do some horror themed numbers every now and then. Oh, cool. Uh, are there any YouTube videos of these? Oh, I'll have to look. And if I can find any of those in particular, I'll send you links. I know there's some YouTube videos out there, but I don't know that that in particular and on my own YouTube channel, I actually do a series where I talk about horror related things as well. That I've oh, got. very cool. Um, I'll have to put yeah, a link so to I, that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a little playlist. I think I've got about six or seven videos. I've only been doing this for about nine months, but um, I started breaking down some horror movies. So I talk about Black Christmas and the two remakes. And I talk <laughs> about um, My Bloody Valentine. I did that for Valentine's Day <laughs> with the remake. So Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Which version of Black Christmas is your favorite? 
I, this is controversial. I think the 2019 is the best. I like that one too. I haven't seen I the 2006 it. one, but I wasn't a fan when I first watched it in theaters. But then when I rewatched it around Christmas last year, I was like, I really like this. This is like a female empowerment movie. Yeah. I think that the social commentary in Black Christmas 2019 is just as good as the social commentary in Get Out. I think that talking about misogyny and sexism, I think it's just as good. I think it's just as well done as Get Out. Oh, that's it. That's quite a statement. Yes. The two, I will warn you, the 2006 version of Black Christmas is bananas. It's I've heard bizarre. that it's just very gory. It's great, but it's just weird. So kind of like right. how, the, have you seen the 1974, yeah. the original? So you know how you don't really know anything. Like we don't know who Billy and Agnes are. We don't know who the killer is. So in 2006, they took all of that and they're like, oh, you wanted story? We'll give you story. But they give you so much story and so many details that you're like, what is happening? It's so bizarre. <laughs> I, will, I will have to track down the 2006 version eventually, maybe next Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you think your love of sleepaway camp influenced your becoming a drag queen? I think so. Yeah. I was always, I mean, I look back at the things that I loved as a kid and I was like, of course I'm going to become a drag queen. I mean, I loved, you know, there was sleepaway camp as a teenager, but even before that, I was a kid when Elvira mistress of the dark, that NBC TV movie came out the first movie that she did. And I was obsessed with that. I was obsessed with Elvira and, and, and Dolly Parton, who, you know, is this big showy personality. She's, her like stage persona is almost like a type of drag. Um, and, you know, all of these different influences, Madonna and the way she was always reinventing herself and creating new um, ways to present her music and her persona. Um, there's so many of those things, but Sleepaway Camp absolutely influenced how I think about my drag and my performance. That's awesome. One last 1980s horror movie question. Somehow this movie comes up in almost, you know, half of my interviews because people love it. Are you a fan night of Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. It's so weird and cheesy and yes. <laughs> I love it. I, that's actually the next horror video that I have coming out. It's not talking about prom night two, but it's talking about the original prom night. And then um, the remake that wasn't really a remake from like 2008, where they made it like a PG 13 with Britney snow. And um, I think I'm going to do a follow-up video where I talk about then the sequels where they have Mary Lou and kind of started to build a franchise off of that second one. I love it. I think it's weird and bizarre and, I watched that with my mom. That was like a milestone for me. So that was one. The reason why I love that is because that was one of the first movies that I watched all the way through. I was in like fourth grade, I think, when I watched that. And my mom had rented it and she wasn't going to let me watch it because she thought it was too scary. And I pitched a fit and she finally gave in. And I watched it. And of course, I had nightmares. I was so scared afterwards. But it was the first one that I remember watching all the way through, not covering my eyes, not doing any of that. That's awesome. Prom night too is always bring people together. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think the people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? I think we have a better sense of how the world really is. I mean, I think that um, there are some people who want to pretend that nothing bad ever happens. Um, and that to me is its own kind of like insanity. The people who are just like, 
uh, when somebody has live, laugh, love on their wall in their house, I'm just like, you need to be checked out. Like <laughs> optimism is one thing, but those people who are just like relentlessly happy. And I think that horror allows us to process through some negative things. I think it allows us to, you know, engage with some of the horrors of real life. Um, one of the people that I met through the Days of the Dead convention is a director named Brooklyn Ewing. And she did an indie film called She Was So Pretty. And she gets some flack sometimes from people about how it's really dark and there's no like strong female character in it. Um, And she's like, that's not the movie I was trying to make. You know, I was, the world is scary for women. Like the world really is just scary. And that's what I wanted this to be. I wanted it to be realistic to how sometimes women exist in the world with predatory men. And so I think that people who like horror, it's because we have a more balanced view of the world. We recognize that, yeah, there's good stuff, but there's also this bad, icky underbelly. And if you, you know, maybe work through it in these fictional ways, when the real bad stuff happens, you'll be more equipped to deal with it. Yeah, that's a great answer. Speaking of dark, um, have you seen Promising Young Woman yet? I have not. I'm so excited to see that. I rented it last week. It was so good. It and it sounds very similar to that other movie. She was pretty. Mm. It sounds very similar to that. I would definitely recommend it. It's only it's only five ninety nine to rent now on Amazon. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll have yeah. to check that out because I I love it. I love. It. I read the setup of it and I was like, this is really good. Oh yeah, I was like, she is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> um. So last year there was. I know we're almost out of the pe- lockdown and the pandemic. Fingers crossed. But last year, there was an article that came out that says that horror movie fans are handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that is? I, we've been training for this for years. <laughs> we've watched all these videos and movies where, you know, the world falls apart. And I think that there's something, again, it's, I think, going back to that earlier answer that I gave, it's because we've figured out how to process through bad stuff. So when bad stuff comes around, we've already kind of got our plans in place, you know, like we, we watch these movies and we think, well, what would I do in this situation? Like, what would I do if it was a zombie outbreak? Or what would I do if there was this, like, you know, the stand, the super flu, like, what would I do in those cases? And I think that when things started to happen, people are like, yep, we knew that the world could get bad and it's getting bad now. And so we're just going to handle it. I think it's just because we've been, we've watched every contagion movie for years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Have you watched any pandemic horror movies since we've been in lockdown? I haven't that I can think of. I honestly, so I love horror. I couldn't watch a lot of horror over the last year. Um, And I think because it was enough. Like I had watched the horror leading up to that and I realized, oh, I'm living in the horror right now. So I don't need to add to that. So I watched a lot of comfort movies. I um, just with the political situation and the pandemic, I w- because I finally got Hulu and I was excited to start The Handmaid's Tale. And then with everything that went on with this election, I was like, I think we're going to wait until there is a new president in the Oval Office before we can start that because it's too real to me. It's too close to like, what, and with the, what happened at the Capitol on the day that they were counting the electoral wow. votes, I was like, that's the beginning of The Handmaid's Tale. Like that could have gone very differently. And so I was like, nope, we're going to wait. <laughs> we're going to wait on that. So I'm finally getting back into it now. Yeah. The Handmaid's Tale is intense. I've only watched mm. the first season because, and I couldn't, I couldn't do any more. 
of it because I was like, mm, I don't need, I don't need too to real. see that. Yep. Yeah, too real. <laughs> <laughs> How do you decide what kind of horror movie to watch when you're looking for something to watch? I really just kind of go by instinct. So I have, um, I got, did away with cable a long time ago. So I just have a lot of the streaming services and I, um, I have Shutter, So a lot of times I'll start on Shutter and just kind of flick through and see if anything appeals to me. Sometimes I'll have an idea if I want to watch like a slasher or a ghost story or something like that. Um, or sometimes what but I love horror documentaries. So I'll usually check and see if there's a new documentary. And then once I watch a documentary about something, I'll go back and watch the movie. And so I, I just really kind of flip through and I'm a creature of impulse. Oh, very cool. Um, have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Oh, <laughs> I did talk about this in my video about my bloody Valentine a little bit because I, and that one was just, it was because it was such a weird experience because the remake of my bloody Valentine was right when like the real D 3d was becoming big again. And my bloody Valentine, the remake was the first R rated 3d movie to come out. And a friend and I went to see that. And for whatever reason, the theater was packed and we got there late and we had to sit in like the third row. So we weren't like right, right at the front, but we were like right up there. And so we're like craned with our necks back so that we can see the screen. And then everything, there's all these 3D gags and all this stuff. And it was just such a weird experience that that one always sticks in my mind of just, uh, it was just so weird and strange. So a number of movies were postponed because of COVID last year. Which one were you most upset that was postponed? <sighs> Candyman. <laughs> I need to see that movie. I'm so excited for Candyman because I love what Jordan Peele is doing. I think he is such a gift to horror right now. And I'm so glad that he's producing. At first I thought he was directing it and I was like out of my mind. And it's still cool that he's producing it. And I'm sure he's going to have like some input into it, but I am so excited about what he's doing. And I am so excited because that's the one movie as a kid now, I cannot watch that movie and then immediately go to a mirror and say Candyman five times. I can't do it. I Whatever my logical brain usually talks me out of everything, that's the one thing I know I won't do it. Not today, Satan. I think I'm that way about uh, Bloody Mary mm. because I grew up doing that or almost doing it a lot with my with my friends in school. So that is the one that creeps me out the most. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully we get to see that soon which which yes. movie did you like better get out or us oh i liked them both i think i liked get out better um i think the social commentary was much because i love social commentary and horror i think that that's something that people don't always acknowledge how important that has been you know from really early on in horror i don't know 1968 with the night of the living dead and the way that that movie played out. I love the social commentary and get out. I love the social commentary in us, but I think it's not as easy yeah. for people to get into and understand. You have to kind of play with it and pick it apart a little bit. Whereas I think get out just, and it's unforgiving. I mean, I think that Jordan Peele has said in interviews, he's like, I, I hate to break it to you. There are no good white people in this movie. And I love that he did that. I love that he didn't give in to that pressure to have like the one good white person that like sneaks in somehow and like 
impacts it. He's like, no, there are no good white people in this movie. And I saw, I live in North Dakota, which is a super white place. And I saw that in the theater. That's another good theater experience because I remember seeing that in a theater full of Midwestern white people and it was uncomfortable (laughs) and I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, Did anyone, was anyone in your theater offended by it? I, not that I could tell just from seeing them, but definitely you could tell there was some discomfort. Like as we got up, you know how when you see a really good movie and people get up and they're like, oh yeah, and they're walking out and they're all excited. It was a different walk. It was a very, yeah. people were like, <laughs> oh, and then they just kind of shuffled out. So it was, they just didn't know what to do. They were like, uh, I guess it's over. I don't. Yeah, no one Where are you going to tell me it's okay? Yeah, nobody <laughs> clapped, certainly. Um, are there any horror movies that you love that people generally generally don't like or do you have any unpopular horror movie opinions that you can tell us about i well besides the obvious i mean it's super unpopular to say that the newest black christmas is the best um that's one that people want to fight me on immediately um so that's certainly an unpopular opinion i think that another probably unpopular opinion among like genre fans i think that halloween is probably the best of the big three. So I think of the big three as like Michael Myers, Jason, and Freddy. I think that Halloween is the best first movie, but I think that Halloween has the worst sequels. I think that Halloween absolutely has the worst sequels of the big three franchises. Um, It gets so bizarre in the cult of Thorn and the way that they like cut the movies together. The editing didn't do them any favors. And I just think that the Halloween sequels are almost unwatchable, the later ones. That's what I've heard. I've never watched any of the sequels for Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, or I no, I have seen two of the sequels for Friday the 13th. Yeah, I because they tried to hold on to I mean, that's one of the things that I think the big three always try to do is as they're doing these sequels and as they're figuring out how to build, they have the certain like information that was established in the first movie and they have to figure out how to work with that so friday the 13th in some ways just doesn't so in friday the 13th in the sequels you never have a final girl who returns except for alice from the first one shows up in the first five minutes of part two and then gets killed Um, but other than that like every final girl in friday the 13th disappears she's never seen again tommy jarvis shows up in three movies which is interesting that it's a male character who shows up in more than one movie but all of the women just disappear and it's a whole new the only thing that kind of keeps it together is that it's always at crystal lake until jason takes manhattan so then they kind of violate the formula a little bit more but um and with halloween they tried to stick so close to Laurie Strode and the story they were building around that but then they couldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis she was like no thanks um probably to her credit that she was she read the script and was like "Mm, I'm out um and so then they have to kind of figure out how to work around that and they just made some really weird choices yeah so were you a fan of them discounting all of the Halloween sequels and just going from Halloween to Halloween 2018 I think it's interesting they've always tried to do that I thought that um you know in Halloween H2O They tried to pretend like none of the sequels ever happened, except for part two. 
So they tried to pretend they were like, oh, I faked my death in a car accident. And then now I live here. And that's in part um, four. That's how they explain why Laurie Strode isn't there is because she died in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And it's her daughter that then Michael Myers is chasing after. And so the only reference to that is in Halloween H2O. She says, oh, well, I faked my death. I said I died in a car accident. Now I moved out here. Um, and so that one, they kept Halloween one and two. And then in 2018, they just said, nope, take it back to the beginning. I actually liked that, that because I think those sequels are so weird and strange. I think it's to their credit that they were like, Halloween is so good. And is such a like OG film in the horror genre that they were like, let's just take it back to what's really good about this series and just say everything else is gone. I liked it because I think it got rid of a lot of that baggage. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, if you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? I Well, I'm hoping we get my wish because it would be Sleepaway Camp. I would love to see some work, some new interpretation of Sleepaway Camp. Um, I think that would be great. Um, I would love to see a remake because I, I generally like remakes. I don't mind remakes. And so I'm trying to think if there's any other besides Sleepaway Camp. I would love to see a remake of The Burning. That's another one of those, I think it's from 1980. It's one of those like summer yeah. camp slasher movies. And I think that they were still trying to figure things out. And I think they could have done more with that killer and that that circumstance. So maybe The Burning would yeah. be one. Cool. Um, yeah, that's another one that my friends, that my friends who love 80s horror, they love, they love that one as well. So yeah. I actually really liked the remake of Friday the, thir the 13th in 2009. I really liked that remake. I did too. I liked it a lot. I thought that it was an interesting take on Jason because I think that as much as you can imbue some sort of emotion or character into a sort of like a big hulking murderer who never talks, I thought that Derek Mears did a really good job of through the physicality, the way that he interacted with that woman who he thought looked like his mother, um, the way that he would interact and in the kind of play there, I thought there was more sort of emotion there that wasn't in any of the other ones. And so I thought that was a really interesting take on, on Jason Voorhees and like how he got there. And I've heard Derek talk at conventions about how he kind of came up with his portrayal of Jason. And he said that it's really about this kid who the only person in the world that loved him was his mother and he saw her killed. And now these people like keep coming to his place and he doesn't know how to love. And he doesn't, he's just like, I just want to be left alone. Like everything has been taken from me. And that's why he kind of lashes out. And I think that some of that emotion, I think some of that emotion is kind of there to be seen in that movie. Oh, that's really interesting. So my final question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? I don't, I feel like I, there's so many things going against me with, that I'm not going to live through a horror movie anyway. So I feel like um, who's going to be the one that's the most fun? I love the idea of, because I think we would be best friends, because I think we'd be snarky and sassy together. Um, Rebecca Gayhart's character from Urban Legends I think that she and I would like bond and we would just become like an evil twosome. I think we would just go on a rampage together. I was like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So oh, I love that. I love her in that movie. So. Yeah, I did too. Uh, yeah, no, I've been thinking about that movie a lot lately. I haven't rewatched it in a long time, but that's definitely, 
on top of my mind to rewatch. So that's a great answer. Yeah, I need to rent that again. I can't find it anywhere streaming for free. So I think I just oh. have to break down and rent it. I've looked on all the platforms and it's like part two, I think is on Shutter, yeah. the sequel that they did, but the original isn't. So yeah, I like the sequel to too. Watch it. I think the sequel is pretty good. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad I got to talk to you about Sleepaway Camp. Maybe I'll go rewatch it. Um, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet and everything like that and in, in person when you're allowed to perform again? Yeah, someday when we finally do in-person shows. Yeah, wonderful. I, I had so much fun being here. Um, so they can find me on my website. My website is janessaj.com and that's J-A-Y-E. It sounds like an initial, but it's J-A-Y-E.com. Um, and my YouTube channel is Janessa J. Champagne. And if you just search for that, you'll find all of my horror-related content. I have a playlist of my horror videos. I do makeup reviews. Um, I do different kinds of commentary videos and things like that. And I am an Instagram monster. So if they want to follow me, and this is so embarrassing. So my Instagram name is Janessa J Official. I don't know why I thought when I joined Instagram, I was like, well, I should say official in case somebody tries to create a fake account. And I was like, who do you think you are, ma'am? Like, nobody's going to try to create a fake Janessa <laughs> profile, but I did that. And so I was just like, that's, that I was feeling extra one day. So on Instagram at Janessa J official. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. I love it. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Janessa J. Champagne. And thanks again to Janessa for coming on. You can find links to all of her socials in the show notes. And again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It really helps people find us. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at thewhosetherepod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated. <laughs>